Uninvisible is a support podcast that provides information, ideas, suggestions, and experiences that deal squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice of any kind. We do provide support, concepts, ideas, discussions, and information you can use to make sure that you are being heard and that your concerns are being addressed. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing, but we will be here for you along your journey. We welcome all comments about our episodes and, of course, the correction of any errors. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our Terms of Service and Privacy Policy, which are available on our website, located at www.uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Most of all, we welcome your stories and experiences to share with our community, because without you, this community and the benefit it offers all of us would not exist. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Of course, in the event that you are having a medical emergency of any kind, consult your physician or emergency services. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. All right, guys, welcome to the show. Um, I've got Eric with me today. He was born with cystic fibrosis. Um, he's a solar engineer based in Southern California, and um, he is a survivor um, and has in his past been somewhat of an advocate. So we're going to start really basic today. Eric, you, um, hi, thanks for joining us. First Hello. <laughs> um, and um, I was wondering if you could just give us a little rundown about what cystic fibrosis is so that we just have a basic starting point. Okay. Uh, it can be described in many ways, but it's, it's basically a genetic illness, so it means you're born with it. Um, it affects all the exocrine glands, but in terms of, most people focus on the impact on the lungs. Um, so the, the layman description I use sometimes is, you know how your lungs have like a thin, slippery mucus coating inside them that uh, protects from bacteria, viruses, it's part of your immune system. Mm. Um, so in C in cystic fibrosis, aka CF, uh, the mucus gets dehydrated, mm. uh, so it becomes thick and sticky, and it ends up trapping bacteria, and it's like a breeding ground for bacteria. So mm. there's a lot of uh, fighting off lung infections. It's basically a lifelong um, effort of fighting off lung infections. Right. And, uh, Hopefully you can find other things to do with your time too. Yes. Yeah. So um, how, how did that look when you were a kid? I mean, I'm sure, you know, we've talked a little bit before the interview about life expectancy stuff um, and sort of what the diagnosis, how the diagnosis changed the way you probably saw mortality and your everyday when you were a kid. Can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, yeah, so I could, I could start with, so I was diagnosed at one, uh, mm. back in 1978. Mm. Um, and the way they actually test for CF, uh, especially back then was a sweat test. 
So they wrap some plastic around your arm and they collect the sweat and then measure the salt content in the sweat. Oh, wow. So if your salt concentration is above a certain amount, um, they say, congratulations, your child has yes. Hmm. And then they, uh, and then they teach you about it. Um, at the time, I remember my father telling me, <clears throat> so keep in mind, I was one year old baby. They said, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's been some advancements lately and a lot of these kids are, are, you know, growing up past 10. So, you know, take them home, give them a, give them a nice life and, you know, see where it goes. Hmm. Um, so they weren't happy with that. No. Uh, well, how did they even, how did they even <laughs> suspect that you had CF? Did they notice that you were like coughing a lot and getting infections? Yeah. From what I remember them saying, um, obviously my dad could give you this story better than me, but I think, uh, yeah, there's some coughing and, you know, like mucus related things. And then also, it also affects your digestion. Mm-hmm. So the mucus actually affects all the exocrine glands, which includes, uh, the pancreas. Okay. So the, pan- so the duct, the ducting coming out of the pancreas gets blocked. So pancreatic enzymes, which digest your food, aren't able to release into the stomach mm. or intestinal tract. You just weren't digesting food as a baby. Oh, so at the time, I, I think the life expectancy was about 14. Which you have obviously well outlived. Yes. Um, you know, uh, has already mentioned he was born in 78. So, you know, he's definitely outlived that life expectancy. 77. Oh, 77. Oh, right. You were right, right. born in 78. That's right. Right, right. right. There's nothing involved. <laughs> um, right. Well, as I got older, uh, luckily, more treatments were coming out and life expectancy or median age of death. There's, there's all these different stats they use, but uh, they were going up. So I'm like, all right, good. Yeah. <laughs> so as I got old, like about every 10 years, it would raise about 10 years. So I was like, all right, good. I, I'm not going to catch up. So right. but I, I have caught up and surpassed it. Right. Well, I mean, I wonder also how that affects you psychologically, you know, um, being told right. from the minute you're born basically that like you might not live this long, you know, who was just sort of living their life and thinking they were going to live till they were a hundred, you know, like how, how did that feel and look? Right. Uh, it was kind of a mixed bag. Like, I don't, I think there were a few moments where like I actually stopped to, well, maybe not like stop to comprehend my, my own death as a kid, but uh, like I knew I was sick and I knew like that was part of it. Um, and it was just like part of my story in terms of like, you know, I have this illness and I'm going to die young and, uh, and that makes me special in some way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I felt like, uh, there's a little like sense of my ego. I think that was like, this, this makes me different than, everyone else and like, and do you think it was down to like your parents sort of giving you permission to see it more as a superpower than as a disability uh i think about that one yeah. <laughs> um that has to well, be they, mental, you know? they definitely treated it like a disability mm-hmm. uh not like in a bad way but just in a normal way yeah they were like, careful. i had 
yeah, so there's a lot of there's a lot of treatments involved. I take a lot of so besides uh so I mentioned the the pancreas issue. Mm -hmm. So every time I eat, I have to take pills. Okay. Um like 15 of them. Yep. Uh right. So between that and all the other scripts, I'm up to like 80 some pills a day. Wow. And is that affordable? Like is all of that covered in healthcare? So California, bless his heart. <laughs> <laughs> California, one of the incentives to move to California, um, has a wonderful program called the Genetically Handicapped Persons Program hmm. uh, through the state. So it's basically Medicare or Medi-Cal for people with genetic handicaps, genetic hmm. disabilities. Wow. Um, so you so every year I need to re-enroll and you basically send them your tax returns from the previous year and then they prorate how much you pay. It's mm. like it's basically universal health care for uh well or socialized medicine for genetically handicapped people. That's amazing. And it's only in California, huh? Yeah. Well, last time I checked. Right. I think that's so interesting because that's that's something that um you know, a lot of people might not know and they might be living somewhere else in the States and have a condition oh. that requires more medicine, more care. Um, right. and knowing that you can come to lovely, sunny California as well. Right. <laughs> and get yeah, there's perks. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, and just going back to your, your childhood as well, um, I know mm. when you were a kid, you were kind of like the face of a cystic fibrosis campaign, right? Right. I There's a commercial. Actually, I have a... I digitized all my VHSs a couple of years ago. Yeah. So um, basically, it was a commercial fundraising for the the Philadelphia Bulletin. I'm from Philadelphia, by the way. Hmm. Um. So that was kind of the extent. And then within our uh, town, Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. Hmm. Uh, after that, my parents got into um, coordinating their own fundraising events. So we had a bike-a-thon for five years in a row, I think, while I was in elementary school. Wow. So your parents um, were very involved. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So they, they definitely got involved in fundraising. And then my mother, talking about involvement, um, she went to nursing school mm. and then was working on the, the hospital floor and then eventually became a CF clinic nurse. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you kind of helped steer her career direction as well. Yes. I, That's really amazing. I don't think it was a coincidence. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, <laughs> well, and I suppose that also gave her access to um, information perhaps a little sooner than people outside the medical community might have had access to it possibly, right? Sure. Yeah. She, um, in the clinic, she became the study coordinator. So any, so any drug studies coming through, uh, she was a recruiter. And then she would often guilt me, like, if I can't recruit my own son, like, <laughs> they expect me to get anybody else. Like, uh, so you've tried fine. different um, therapies when they were in the, the testing stages then? Yeah, a handful. Okay. And did you have any adverse effects from doing that, or has it mostly been productive? Uh, I don't remember any adverse effects. Okay. Well, that's um, good. Yeah. 
there's, it wasn't there's a, your memory. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a few that are like a waste of time because yeah. they don't do anything, but. But better they have no side effects than something negative. Correct. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, we've talked a bit about how your parents first realized you were sick when you were a baby and, uh-huh. um, you know, that you, you're taking various supplements and pills um, to control your health. What else are you doing right now on a daily basis to keep your symptoms under control? And, and what are your symptoms? Do you have like flares or is it constant? Um, it's kind of constant, but it does fluctuate. Okay. So right, right now I'm actually, the last couple of weeks I've been a, a bit more congested. So it's kind of like a heaviness feeling mm. in the lungs and then, you know, I got to cough up the mucus regularly. Okay. Um, so let's see, treatment regimen. Mm-hmm. So first, first one, I'll do the sinus rinse because your sinuses are part of your respiratory system. So that also gets thick and mucusy and inflamed. So chronic sinus infection is kind of a byproduct of the CS. So I'll do a sinus rinse in the morning, then uh, inhaled hypertonic saline. What is that? So it's basically 7% saline. It's meant to, um, they realized surfers with CF in Australia were doing a lot better uh, than other ones. And then they did a study taking, they're like, well, maybe the salt air is doing something because it's, it's a water salt issue hmm. going on in, uh, in the mucus. So they realize it helps like thin it out a bit. Sure. And make make it easier to cough up. Wow. That's kind of a convenient finding. Yeah, I know. That's one of the newer ones. They just started that like uh, maybe a dozen years ago. Wow. Um, So. You inhale the feeling. Yeah. (laughs) So that's like 15, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then along with like. Like this is how you start the day? Oh, yeah. And there's a couple inhalers that go along with that. So while I'm doing. While I'm nebulizing the hypertonic saline, mm-hmm. uh, I wear a vest. You probably saw in Claire's videos. Yep. Wineland. Yep, um, Wineland. Right. So it's basically a vest with little like percussion devices in it to shake up the mucus. Which is really cool. It out. <laughs> sure. I, <laughs> I really didn't want one when I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't care if anybody, nobody's going to see me. I don't want to see myself in that thing. <laughs> But now you've got it. Yeah, I've I've gotten over that. I've matured. Yes. Um, okay, so after that, I now do. I just added a couple more too. Now I do uh, nebulized sodium bicarbonate. Okay. That's another fifteen minutes. And, and that's again to help break down the mucus more. Yeah. So that's a, a kind of experimental, actually. Okay. Um, it's a Yes, it's supposed to thin out the mucus a little. Then also, they've studies have shown it disrupts the biofilms around the bacteria. Oh wow! So it helps actually prevent infections and fight infections. Yeah. So well, temporarily. Sure. It, um, for like a couple hours, I think. Okay. So so after that, so it helps. After that, I do nebulized antibiotics. Okay. Uh, Long term been on antibiotics and not had adverse effects from that, I imagine. Well, um. it's, it's a matter of like 
what can you live with? Sure. Yeah. Um, but I did try when I lived in San Francisco, uh, you know, I, I got into a little bit of the, the hippie mindset and like, maybe I can like do better without antibiotics and, you know, try just eating healthy and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And, uh, after a year I, I went, I was at the doctor's office like, well, you tried that. Yeah. It didn't seem to work. How about we go back on the antibiotics? Like, All right. <laughs> You're right. They help. Right. And, and the antibiotics, I presume the purpose of those is to continue to fight infections like at the root, like right. as continue occurring. Right. Right. They're fighting the lung infections in the lungs. Um, okay. So luckily they have like nebulized antibiotics now, so they're not systemic. Okay. Uh, so it's just land, it's higher doses just landing on the, well, landing in the lungs. Right. Okay. So it really is more targeted. Yeah. Right. Okay. But I, I still take oral systemic uh, antibiotics too. Wow. Um, okay. <laughs> right. Doxycycline <laughs> every morning and night. Yeah. And, and, um, and what else? Is there more? Uh, yeah, so I repeat that at night, okay. and then add add a third or fourth um, solution to the nebulizer. Okay, so, so it, all in all, in yes. how, much, time day, how yeah. much of those twenty four hours is spent on medicating and preventing? Uh, I mean, aside from like exercise and stuff, I'd say close to two right so like this is a considerable amount of time yeah if you're trying to hold down a full-time job or live your life so how do you balance these things uh wake up a little earlier (laughs) um it it can be tough sometimes yeah Uh, well the the last so i've mostly been working part-time the last uh, 15 years or most of the last 10 years um, and when I do have a work day so I'll I'll use the nebulizer that goes a little faster mm-hmm. okay and uh, luckily my boss isn't like a stickler for when I show up okay um, so you know if I roll in at 9:30 or 9:40 no big deal right um and like often i'll just stay later anyway so it is it's it's challenging yeah the way i think about it sometimes is like well i don't have kids Mm. if i had two kids that i had to get ready for school in the morning like that would that could take up 45 minutes of your morning anyway Mm. right that's very true but you actually have like a medical reason for being late it's not like you like slept through your alarm or, you know, it's right. like you actually, you were up, but taking medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's, it sucks when you have to catch early flights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Wow. And I, I suppose it's also tough because, like, what if you get to the end of a really long day and you're really fatigued and you're like, now I have to spend an hour, you know, oh. and taking pills? Uh, well, pills are easy. Yeah. Um. I, when they add more pills, I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you're going to add another nebulizer, like, make sure it's really effective. Okay. And, like, let me cut another one out. Sure. Um, 
I think the nebulizing and the most of the time, I'm just so used to it. So it's not that big a deal. It's just like an extra thing you got to fit in your day. Um, yeah. Like sometimes, some days are more annoying than others. But yeah. it's also like I'm doing it where I'm sitting now, like in front of my computer. Yeah. And there's generally always something I could do. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting, too, because when I knew that I was going to interview you, um, the subject sort of came up like how invisible is cystic fibrosis, you know, because like, mm-hmm. think of people like Claire Wineland, right? And right. the images that we have of her, particularly toward the end of her life, she was, whenever she left the hospital, she had an oxygen tank. But you're not that kind of patient. You're someone no. who you wouldn't know um, from looking at you that you had something going on. So what's the difference between the people like her who have an oxygen tank they've got to take around with them and someone like you? Hmm. Are you doing different therapies? Um, No, we're probably doing, uh, Claire and I, um, we're probably doing most of the same stuff. Hmm. Uh, She had a more severe case, obviously. Right. And was um, she was on oxygen all the time. Mm. I luckily my O2 saturations have not dipped where I need that. Um, and most of us don't use oxygen. Right. Uh, it's a you know it's when you get like a certain amount of sick, and there's varying levels of CF severity. Sure. Um, so some people just have GI problems and very little lung issues and vice versa. Mm. And uh, I've heard of some people that weren't diagnosed till their 40s or 50s. Oh, wow. Right. So I consider them very mild case. Yes, I would. As well. yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Right. Mm. So I, you know, I definitely had my rounds growing up, uh, going in the hospital regularly. I had a... Uh, Part of my lung taken out when I was 11. Oh, wow. Because it was just not Um, functioning anymore? It was functioning, but it was the source of repeated infections. Okay. I was going between like third grade and sixth grade. I was going in the hospital like three to six times a year. Wow. Wow. Well, and how was that? Like, what was hospital life like growing up, like going in and out of the hospital and dealing with medical teams and... Um, you know, I'm sure you also developed a community in that process and like that yeah. community would shift as people perhaps passed away or, um, moved right. down or whatever. So what, how, what was that like as a kid? Uh, well, I remember the first, so I was hospitalized when I was two, which mm-hmm. I don't remember that clearly. And then I had a, a good break, I think till I was seven or so. Okay. <clears throat> um, I had a really bad fever and then I was just sick for a month and then mm. he decided to admit me and uh, I was very, I don't have a good word, but um, I, was, I didn't want to go. Yeah, <laughs> so yes, I was resistant. Mm. Um, but I went in anyway, of course. And then uh as I continue to go in more regularly, I actually liked it. Oh, interesting. Right. Like the disruption in your life is bad. Mm. Um, but you get to a point where it's like, I'm sick. 
What are you going to do? And the world kind of absolves you of responsibility when you go in the hospital. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. Um, you know, if they know you, <laughs> at least well, like your work, you they're usually like, understanding. Were you also like, cool, I get to see my friends. Yes. Uh, so when I'd actually go into clinic appointments um, every two, three months, I would ask my mom, because she worked in the hospital, like, oh, who's in? And she's like, oh, you know, Kristen and Michael. And I'm like, oh, good, I'm going to stop by and see them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and they had a uh, – there was always, like, a handful of CFers in there. Mm. And they, they put us all in the same wing of the hospital, so we got to know each other. So it sort of automatically creates that sense of community, which a lot yeah. of chronic illness might be missing if they're not being hospitalized in a way. Right. Well, we're missing it now, and I'll get to that. Um, but uh, we also had, like, there was a teen room, and then we'd hang out together, and it was a good time. Um, and there was some, uh, some wealthy family decided to put on, like, a, a Christmas um, celebration for the CFers at the hospital. So every Christmas, we'd all get together with our families, and we got gifts. Like, oh, nice. Having, yeah, right? So there's perks. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I think when you incentivize anything with a gift, you know, yeah, right. community, it, it suddenly becomes more appealing. Right. Especially to a kid. <laughs> right, right, right. That's kind of how uh, my, my dad got me to except the idea of going into surgery to get part of my lung removed. <laughs> was, uh, he was like, you know, you'll probably get some nice gifts. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, okay. You can have my <laughs> Right. And I start brainstorming. I'm like, oh, maybe my, cause I, I had a aunt and uncle that um, had more money than us. And so they could afford stuff. And uh, I was like, ooh, maybe I could finally get a Nintendo. <laughs> Did you get it? I did. Hey, hey. <laughs> right. Um, well, something too, like something like a Nintendo, you could actually be using the gift in the hospital, I presume. Like they could set you up with it. Oh, well, they'd have to get me a TV too. But they That's had, um, present. <laughs> well, they had a, they had like a, remember the roller carts they used to use in school to bring the TV and the VCR in? Yes, the AV carts. Right. So they had an AV cart with Nintendo on it. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, but you'd, you'd have to take turns because there's only like two of them, I think. Sure, and fair enough. But it sounds, I mean, like there were, at any given time, were there a ton of kids in there or it was a few? Uh, with CF, probably usually at least five. Okay. I'd say. And then how, how did that affect your relationships with that community that you developed? You know, how many of them survived as long as you have? And have you kept in touch with them? Have they remained part of your community? Um, to my knowledge, none of them have survived. Wow. So you're the only one. Yeah. And do you, do you have an inkling as to why that might be? Like, do you think it's because you tried more therapies or their cases were more severe? What do you think? Um, I don't know. They might have had a more severe case. Like, they, you know, a handful of them were going in the hospital regularly, so, uh, but so was I. Yeah. 
So had I not had the lobectomy, maybe, um, you know, maybe it would have just kept getting sicker. So yeah. after I after I had the lobectomy, the the, uh, the lobe removal, mm. um, I went a few years without any need for hospitalization. Oh wow! So it definitely helped. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. It's uh. The statistics are true. Yeah. Well, and it has affected the way that you view mortality, especially yeah. compared to somebody who's generally healthy, right? You know, you were right. it from a much younger age. You know, we've talked about how you were told about median life expectancy when you were a kid. Um, so your relationship to mortality, I presume, is very different emotionally and just intellectually. Probably. Um, I mean, it's probably, it's probably hard for you to judge, too, because it's like your experience is the only experience. Right, right. I, I'm in my own mind. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but as, as friends would die or I hear about them, it, a lot of times it was kind of, kind of like you're in a war. Mm. And like if you're a soldier and you're just like, oh, wow, we, you know, we lost Mike or we lost Chris or... Uh, and then, you know, you're, you're sad for a moment and it's just, well, I'll keep fighting the good fight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that makes me wonder about advocacy as well. Um, you know, because you've created this community with people and you're watching them experience mortality and having Mm -hmm. your own personal experience. Have you aside from when you were like the, the spokesperson when you were a kid, have you ever become an advocate within the CF community um, or found that you needed one, like your mom, for example, when she was working within the hospital and able to access information? Mm-hmm. Um, well, she was definitely an advocate of mine. Uh, so when you say advocate, uh, well, I definitely advocate for myself to my medical people. And is that something that you've had to learn? Uh, sure. Well, I've always been involved. Um, but, you know, my, my mom was in my appointments growing up. Sure. Um, so you were able of, to see her example and then? Well, it was kind of both of us speaking. But I think she would remember more of the issues. Okay. And, you know, I was a kid, so I'm like, I don't know, all right. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I've done a little bit of advocacy in that, in terms of that. Like, yeah. where I think I've spoken a couple times. Okay. But, but not like I haven't made a big thing of it. And then I get involved in like the online community every once in a while. I'll, if I see a question come in that I can speak to, like I'll offer my, uh, you know. 40 years of wisdom. Well, and, and would you say that you're probably, I mean, I wonder about the statistics as well in terms of how well you've survived. Mm-hmm. Now, um, would you be one of very few who has exceeded expectations or is, is it becoming more common that, that um, the life expectancy is increased as you were saying, you know, every 10 years it would go up. To right. More. Right. It has increased. It's around, so I think they're saying if uh, a CF were born today, 
with today's technology would be expected to uh, live till 40. So you still win. You've still, you've still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But I also, I wasn't born today. No. Um, In that sense, you've done even better. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've gone through some damage. Yeah, or uh, I got involved in the breathing room and like different organizations a little bit. Okay. Uh, the, um, and I wrote like a couple articles for the adult CF newsletter that goes out. Okay. Um, got interviewed once. I I did a podcast. I'm doing another one now. You are. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So you're. Out there, you're you're lending your voice to the yeah, as it were. It's not like a focus of mine, but it's like if I'm asked. Well, and it sounds like your focus is really on just living your life. I mean, we talked about that work-life right. balance, and you know, you've got your career, you enjoy it, and you're you're really just trying to show up at work and show up in your life, right? Yes, I have other interests. Yes, which is a good thing. <laughs> right. I, I mean, speaking of work-life balance, have you ever mm-hmm. been in situations where you've had to sort of justify your illness to other people that, like, you know, they might not have understood um, what was going on with you because you looked fine? Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of. I think most people are, like, once they learn about it, once they learn what CF is, um, or hear that I have it and then ask a question or whatever. Um, they kind of don't question me. Right. Because it, it is serious. Mm. Um, and they can hear me coughing sometimes. So it, although it's invisible, it's not in, inhearable. Inaudible. <laughs> Inaudible. <laughs> Thank you. I knew there was a proper term out there. <laughs> yeah. And is that like um, a common symptom is the coughing? I mean, I'm sure there are going to be a few coughs that make it into the final edit of this interview, you know, and it's, that's the reality is that like you do have to sort of clear your lungs every so often. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and I think there has been some like doubts, like when I went part time, you know, I'm sure there were some coworkers that were just like, well, he seems fine. Like he made it this long. Like, why does he got to work part? Like, I don't get it. Right. Um, what was behind that decision? Was it just to create more balance in your life and make more room for your health? Yeah, kind of. Uh, it was kind of stress focused. Um, was stress exacerbating your symptoms? Yes. Mm. Um, so it's hard to notice the correlation between exacerbating symptoms and what may have exacerbated them. Sure. <clears throat> but I was noticed the correlation back when I was living in San Francisco, um, getting my career going. Yeah. I was working late a lot, uh, you know, past eight o'clock a lot of days. Yeah. And I noticed towards the end of the day, like I could feel my lungs feeling tighter and more congested. And I'd start coughing more and I'd sound thicker. And uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I thought there might be a correlation. Right. And did, did those um, heightened symptoms subside a bit once you pulled back at work and went part-time? Yeah, I think it's helped. Yeah. Uh, but it's because I always have some symptoms. It's, it's really hard to gauge. 
Right. Um, but yeah, it's certainly helped. It's definitely helped the stress levels. Yeah. And um, I, cause I, go ahead. it's not so much, it's not so much that, um, I can tell it's helped. It's that I notice when I do push myself that it is hurting. Yeah. Um, so it's about being gentler with yourself. Right. Hmm. So no, avoiding that is, stressors. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think, I mean, it's interesting because I think people who are quote unquote, well, you know, uh -huh. um, deal with a lot of stress and don't even recognize when stress is making them sick or, or more susceptible to like getting that flu that's going around or, or, you know, whatever right. it is where their, their immune systems become weaker just because they're having emotional and, and um, logistical stressors that are sort of falling all over them in their lives. Um, but you've had to be more cognizant of that um, as somebody who's dealing with chronic illness. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, how, how is important is it that you think we keep talking about this stuff? Um, you know, I know that you've, you've contributed in CF communities, and um, I, I'm just curious to know sort of, you know, because I, I feel like until until I started podcasting and until I started really communing with others who have invisible illness, um, yeah. it felt like the conversation was just happening in an echo chamber. You know, we were having the conversation, those of us who have invisible illness, but in terms of the wider world, there was much less of an understanding. Um, so how important is it that you think that we, we continue to have these conversations and, and create awareness and, and even advocacy platforms? Uh, I think it's pretty important. Yeah. Uh, CF, I think May is CF Awareness Month. So you can oh. think about it a little more then. <laughs> so obviously other people have the same sentiment. Yeah. So awareness, held, I used to do, um, in more recent years, I was involved in the... Uh, walkathons oh, put on by the the cf foundation mm. so they have them all over the country um and i i was doing some heavy fundraising for a handful of years there mm. um so part of part of part of fundraising and trying to get funding for research and things is educating people so they yeah um, they want to help Yes. Um, so in some cases, like, that's how I kind of came out of the proverbial closet to, yeah. you know, some coworkers or acquaintances that I didn't know that well. Um, how does that look, too? I mean, what is it like in a, in a work environment to, you know, have invisible illness? And, and, like, what is the timing on how do I tell my boss? How do I tell my coworkers? You know, right. and, and what are the, the, the accepted boundaries um, within that discussion of, you know, how much can I tell them about my illness? And, you know, mm -hmm. how does that look as well? Right. Um, so I definitely don't mention it in my interviews. Sure. Which makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yes. So I'll hide it then. So I yeah. Trick them. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, so it's kind of like as to need know, as, sorry, need to know. No basis. basis. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so if I, if I notice symptoms cropping up or that the work, 
that my workplace will have to accommodate me in somehow, yeah, then I'll say something. Um, and when you say that your workplace will have to accommodate you, it's not like it's not like me being like, I've got the flu, I'll be out for three days. It's right weeks that you're like, I've got to go to the hospital for weeks. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Right. So I'll usually go in the hospital for like a week and then I'll work from home the second and third week after sure. that. Okay. Uh, preferably part time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's generally the approach, and it's kind of as as I feel people are going to start questioning, like, why is he coughing? Like, um, you know, trying to keep a distance. Like, I I want to be somewhat open about it, and not like so, let them think that you've got something that they could catch. Right. So when I was uh, working at an internship in college, there's a guy I was working with um, and we were getting like kind of friendly over a couple of days. Uh, and I told him about CF and he mentioned like, oh yeah, I had a friend with that. And like for the longest time, he wouldn't tell us like, and he would just disappear. He was going to the hospital, but he wasn't like telling anyone anything. Well, Eric, this is like, I feel like we've covered so much. Um, and I, I like to wrap up the episodes with a few top three lists, um, which you may or may not be familiar with. But um, I wondered if you have any tips, top three tips for someone who suspects they might have something going on, like maybe some kind of invisible illness, be it CF or otherwise. What would you suggest to someone who's beginning the journey that you've been on since you were a little one? Um, well, if you suspect something's wrong, do, uh, go to the doctors and try to get diagnosed. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, from the stories I've heard from you and others on your show, yeah. uh, a lot of times these diagnoses aren't straightforward. No. Nope. It can be very frustrating, but once you have a diagnosis, you can treat it. Yes. I've, I've had some friends and I've had some friends and known some people who, struggled for years not knowing what they had or being misdiagnosed and then when they finally know they have a sense of relief yeah i mean and that's something that we have talked about a lot on the show that like that sense of relief when you have a name for something Mm -hmm. luckily you haven't had to struggle with (laughs) because you've had a name since very early on no i haven't had i haven't had that problem but i have had symptoms that stump the doctors so where they'll send me to specialists and they're like, oh, I don't know. <clears throat> right. Mainly like why why am I taking so many enzymes? Because like the normal is like five per meal and I'm taking sixteen. Wow. So you've so, just needed extra. <laughs> what? You've just needed extra help for your pancreas. Yeah. Well I'm taking over double the recommended maximum. Wow. But you're in so, good health. So if that's what you need, yeah. you need, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> or they're you just know, not so working well. Well, do you think that that's part of it? Do you think that, that there are drugs that you're taking that are not doing their job? Uh, well, as far as enzymes, I've tried most of the ones that exist, just trying to troubleshoot. Right. Um, so we're all stumped. Right. Interesting. 
Well, I mean, part of me is like, of course, I'm sitting here going, is it the antibiotics causing more digestive? <laughs> it's so common that they cause gut issues, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I saw a, a study came out a few months ago showing they're seeing um, inflammation and bloating in the CF gut as like toddlers before they've even like contracted the um, bacteria that's going to stay with them. With the rest wow. Most likely. <clears throat> um, okay. Well, so top, top three. Go to the doctor and stay the course and keep seeing. And what? Time. Sorry. So top three tips for someone who might be, you know, starting the road to invisible illness. You said go to the doctor, get diagnosed, stay the course, go see the specialist. Right. That was number yeah. one. What else would Basically. you say? Um, I guess a support system of some sort, mm -hmm. uh, find, find an online community. Mm. Um, sometimes that can be helpful if, if you feel isolated or lost. Yeah. Um, I guess acceptance. And, and what does that look like? <laughs> How did you get there? Uh, I'm not, well, you don't necessarily have a choice. Mm -hmm. So. But you seem so, very at peace with it though. You know, it doesn't seem, it's not a bugbear for you, is it? It's, you're like, well, this is just my life. Um, yeah, kind of. And I think I a lot of, I'm, a lot of people might tend toward depression, but you seem to be very mm -hmm. balanced in that way. Um, yeah, you know, relatively. Relatively. Yeah. <laughs> right. like, you know, it's not like you're talking to me from inside a deep, dark hole, you yeah. know? Um, so how have right. you found that great? And, and CF is not the center of my life. It's just something I have to deal with. Well, and this is something that comes up a lot in these interviews, right. right? You know, like we talk about, um, nobody wants to be defined by their illness. It's just a part yeah. of who they are. So the fact that you've sort of accepted that as a part of who you are and you present it as a part of who you are and not the first right. story. Right. I, so part of my... We're getting off topic. But I'm, sure that's oh, I'm interested. Um, so uh, we spoke about the first time we talked a little bit mm. that I didn't want, I really didn't want CF to be my defining characteristic. Mm. Um, like I needed to find something fulfilling in life that made me, gave me some drive mm. or a goal, um, which led me into the work I do. Uh, solar engineering. Mm. Um, I became a bit of an environmentalist in middle yeah. school. Well, and, and you also, you, you have a love of nature that, that runs very deep as well, just generally speaking. Yes. Eric is quite an outdoorsman. Um, so it's great because you're, you're, you I'd, know, I'd like the outdoors and you love the outdoors and you love the environment. So really what you've chosen to do for work is something that's about making a difference in the world, isn't it? Yeah, so I figured if I'm going to be working my ass off to mm. stay alive, um, I I should be doing something worthwhile with that time mm. that uh, keeps me motivated. Yeah. So that was so that kind of led me down that career path a little bit. Like I care about air pollution and mm. climate change and uh, sustainable 
energy and all that stuff. So, mm. so I got into that field. Um, I think it's really admirable. I mean, because I, I think there are a lot of people who sort of they'll end up in in a field just by happenstance. But you've been very very clear I about know. like in a way, having cystic fibrosis has given you the impetus to, mm-hmm. to contribute in a in a larger way beyond yourself. In a way, yeah, I think it's given like a different kind of motivation for mm. how to live life. Mm. Like, like not necess- like don't take it for granted. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really wonderful. And I'm sure also that's, that attitude has been encouraged and or fostered by the incredible support system that you had growing up. Cause it sounds like your parents were really supportive and they, mm-hmm. you know, generated that community as a kid and, um, so being able to have those relationships that have sort of buoyed you up as well, right? So I had mentioned the building of the community and that, um, so all the, and when I say friends that I made, like we weren't necessarily always keeping in touch or anything. It was mostly just in the hospital. Uh, we didn't have Facebook and stuff. Sure. But, um, and that they pretty much all died by 20. Wow. Somewhere around there. And, but around that time, they had discovered uh, a correlation between CS severity and this specific bacteria called Percolja cepatia. Um, you have to email that to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we call it cepatia for short. Okay. So that's the bacteria you you really don't want to get. And it was kind of running, running rampant in the... Uh, Philadelphia area. Oh, interesting. Um, and most of these bacteria are like, they're all around. We're just susceptible to mm. getting them in our lungs. Um, so from that point, they started instilling isolation measures where right. we weren't, where they stopped putting us in the same room together. Uh, and then eventually we weren't allowed to like have these Christmas parties or congregate in any way or even like this is really interact with each other. And this is still happening today, I think, because the film that's that Claire Wineland was consulting mm-hmm. on about CF teenage CF patients before she died, I think part of the whole um, part of that story the big thing is the isolation that like these two can't touch each other or be too close to each other. Right. They get co-infections. Yeah. It's, it's only gotten more precautionary. Mm. Um, where at this point, uh, anyone who walks in just when we're at a clinic mm. every two, three months or so, um, anyone who comes into our clinic room, to do testing, ask questions, whatever. They have to wear a hospital gown, gloves, um, and like, you know, alcohol in, alcohol out. Right. uh, Just so they don't pass our germs between the other patients. Wow. So people that are younger than me um, have a fear of encountering someone else with their disease. Wow. 
which is it like that completely negates the whole sense of community that you ended up experiencing <laughs> to an extent yeah right that's why i say online community yeah uh, there there is a um cfri another organization in the, in the bay area they host a annual conference and adult cf retreat mm. um they put some precautions in yeah but uh you know it's it's considered like very loosey-goosey compared to like cff rules uh but what does that, how does that affect you psychologically, you know, knowing that like you can't, you want to be around your people, but you right. can't be around your people? Uh, it kind of sucks. Mm. Well, I think for a while I was okay with like how things were. I'm like, well, I'm not really that focused on the CEF. I need to, I do what I need to do and carry on with my day interacting with the regular, uh, healthy world. Sure. Um, but then when I did go to retreat 12, 13 years ago, uh, like it just opened up all this stuff that I never discussed or like uh, shared or I hadn't shared in, you know, a dozen years before that or more. Like what? Um, <laughs> like uh, just like little anecdotes of, you know, being in the hospital or doing treatments or mucus specifics or, you know, any of that stuff. Communing. It was communing. Yeah, totally. Mm. Uh, and I, so for a brief moment, I was like a little overwhelmed by like, wow, I guess I really needed this. Um, however, for the last 10 years, I couldn't go because I cultured MRSA. What does that mean? Uh, have you heard of MRSA? The no. Super Bowl? Oh, oh yeah. M oh yeah, yeah. MRSA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. MRSA. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've been culturing MRSA in my lungs for the last decade. Oh, wow. So, yes. You can't go because you could infect right. people. Right. So if you have like Cepatia, MRSA and you know, whatever else, mm. it won't let you go. So you have to give us, you have to give sputum culture results before they'll let you attend any of the Events. I mean, which sounds fair enough, but can certainly be very isolating, I'm sure, which is where the online community thing really comes in, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't feel a need to, like, discuss CS stuff all the time. Like, I, yeah. I have other things I'm focused, other things I'm focused on, but once in a while, it's nice to get it out and have a little communing, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and with people who really get it, who are going through this. Mm -hmm. And that's what yeah. it's all about. Um, so I'm sure, I mean, we've talked about how you start and end your day with nebulizing and, um, mm -hmm. you know, how you've had to really adjust your lifestyle around treatment. Um, so obviously you've had to adjust your lifestyle based on your illness. Do you ever sort of cheat? Do you ever like get really tired and not nebulize at night or, um, you know, skip the exercise that your doctor prescribed or, just, just because you want to just have a normal day or are you very disciplined about it? Uh, I, th I think the first two you mentioned checked two of mine off. So occasionally, you know, if I have a late night or just kind of the day got away and I'm really tired, mm. like I, I might cut the treatment short or maybe not even, well, 
I I don't know if that even happens like once a month where I just don't do it at all. Right. Or sorry, once a year. Um, well, it's like, I, like for the rest of, for me, it's like falling asleep with my contacts in, but it's not quite the same right. <laughs> effect. Yeah, okay. occasionally I'll fall asleep like, like that. Okay, so what Eric is doing right now, he had a nebulizer in his mouth. <laughs> pretended to pass out with the nebulizer. Right. That's my yeah. Uh, um, do, you yeah, have, do you have any guilty pleasures that you like? Sort well, of- I definitely like a good excuse to not exercise. <laughs> what Sundays are for? <laughs> for? Oh, well, I definitely have days. <laughs> so, yeah. so since I've been working part-time, I made a deal with myself. Like, if I'm going to take these days off, I need to be doing something health-focused. So yeah. that's kind of like my deal with myself to go to the gym and do a little exercise. Mm. Um, I'm not like, I'm not a fitness guy. I would much rather like vegetate in front of the TV all day. Well, and probably with exercise, there's also a limit to how much you can push yourself as well. Right. Of course. Yeah. Right. So like anything aerobic that'll get me coughing and I definitely skip that a lot. Yeah. Um, but I shouldn't, it's not good. I'll do something outside or at home because it's going to make me cough. Well, Eric, um, we've covered so much and I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk today. You know, I'm just so impressed with how well you've done, um, exceeding everyone's expectations. Um, and I'm so interested to see how much further you go. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing some of your story. And, um, hopefully, this episode will um, really create some awareness around CF um, and that not everyone is walking around with an oxygen tank and um, right. that, uh, that it, it is really serious, but again, you don't want to be defined by it and you're, you're living your life and contributing to the world in other ways. So thank you so much for sharing. That's it folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.